and welcome. Episode one of Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. I'm Alan Kavana of Fox Sports, joined by David Smith of motorsportsanalytics.com. And David, it's finally here. I'm excited. We have been working on this. We have been beta testing to get this right. And I'm excited to finally launch 2019. The season is almost here. It's time to get going. I am elated, Alan, to join you uh, on this intrepid experiment of ours. We are we are in the podcasting medium. Uh, I hope this is aligned with everything uh, you wanted out of journalism school and climbing the ladder uh, in, in NASCAR communications and media. Absolutely. And we'll get to the good stuff in a second. But first, let, let's just give him an introduction, David, because... Look, if you are listening to this, first of all, thank you, because you are a racing fan. That is awesome. I'm a racing fan. David, you're a racing fan. And by listening to this, we want to make you a better, more informed fan. We think about other sports and just think about, like, you know, last last week watching football, the, the statistics and the language you hear used in other sports. It's, it's become commonplace. In football, they'll talk about red zone efficiency or they get real specific, right, with things like yards after catch in the last two minutes of a game or, or just little stats that really dig down. In baseball, they have wins above replacement. These are terms people throw around. They are understood by fans of the sport. They give your sport a different level of meaning. But in racing, we don't hear stuff like that in general, most of the time we keep it to wins, speed, laps led, stats like that. And that's what we hope to change here on Positive Regression. There are stats and categories that will open your eyes, change your opinions, give you a better appreciation of this sport. And that's what we are here to do, David. I hope, uh, I'm glad you're helping me with this journey and, you know, helping fans out there, helping myself have a better education about this sport and it really starts with the way you we approach it and the way we look at it and analyze it uh bravo alan well said i i think to to piggyback on that uh auto racing uh in all forms nascar formula one indycar sports car racing um it it is uh it is a sport to which television doesn't do justice uh, for uh, for the audience at home, at, at most uh, most often they're only seeing two cars on the TV screen at once. Uh, we know in NASCAR there are up to forty cars each weekend, and that means there are forty teams, and uh, the viewer misses out on a lot of the action and a lot of the strategic designs, the the game plans changing on the fly, and statistics help us fill in the blanks and allow us to better tell the story. Um, when you think of the term analytics, uh, it literally is analyzing statistics. It is uh, helping explain uh, things that we may not understand or we may not see. And, uh, and I, it may be a lofty goal of our podcast, uh, but I think uh, we can use everything that we have um, uh, from a statistical standpoint at our disposal to create a better brand of analysis, to, to reimagine um, what the fan thinks of NASCAR analysis. Uh, lofty goal, but Alan, I think we're capable. 
Absolutely. And you think about it, look, I'm a racing fan, like I said, grown up doing it. And it's something when, when I'm watching it, it, it's kind of a, a feeling you have in your gut, right? I mean, I judge drivers by, by what I see them doing out on the track. Oh, that guy's aggressive or that guy kind of hangs back and comes on at the end. It's more of a, a feeling rather than, you know, a deep dive in, into looking at what exactly they're doing in terms of speed or how well they pass. And I think, you know, a lot of it changed back when in double file research starts came up now we have overtime now we have stages and when you break that form of racing and stage racing double file restarts and then you look at the statistics and where they end up and how well they were able to pass maybe during the the last say you know 20 percent of the race we can expose different driving styles by looking at the numbers right I, I certainly think so. I mean, a, a couple of examples uh, come to mind from, from the 2018 season. Uh, in June, uh, uh, Ryan Blaney was a, a trendy pick to win at Pocono. And on the surface, it, it made some sense. He was a former winner there. He had won the pole uh, going into that race. Um, but, but picking a winner without noting the driver's pathway to victory strikes me as incomplete analysis. And, and in Blaney's case, uh, him becoming a popular pick to win was something of a misunderstanding of what Blaney is as a driver and what Pocono is as a racetrack. Ryan Blaney uh, is an elite restarter. Uh, there were only three drivers that ranked inside the top five uh, for both preferred groove and non-preferred groove position retention on restarts last year. Kurt Busch was one, Brad Keselowski was one, Ryan Blaney was the third. Uh, and there's a, a very strong argument that can be made that Ryan Blaney is the top restarter in the sport under the age of 30. Now, that's good. The problem is Pocono doesn't induce a lot of restarts. Uh, over the last eight races, only one has seen uh, a race with more than the average number of starts and restarts. So something out of the ordinary would have to occur for Blaney to win at Pocono. And if you think back to the, the win he had there in 2017, it was a late race restart. He only led 10 laps in that race. They were the final 10. And it was uh, sort of this uh, uh, fortuitous uh, occurrence that led to him winning. But picking him to win Pocono in, in cycling a vernacular, that'd be like picking a, a sprinter to win a, a mountain stage. He's not a climber. He, he's, he's good on the flats. Uh, Blaney is a, is a guy that needs short runs. Pocono doesn't typically offer them. So I think back to that and I think, wow, we, we miss some opportunities. There's a lot of misunderstanding of what the sport is nowadays. Um, and, and I also think, I think to, to chase Elliott's uh, first ever cup series win, uh, it came at a road course. It came at Watkins Glen. I know Chase Elliott has a gargantuan fan base, but I don't, think any of them would associate him with a road course racing acumen. But when you actually uh, do the due diligence, that win made a lot of sense, uh, right? So Chase Elliott, uh, his average finish splits last year uh, in races with less than the average number of restarts. He averaged an 8.3 place finish in race uh, races with more than the average number of restarts. He averaged a 17.7 place finish. Uh, his inability to restart at a high level cost him in those races. Well, Watkins Glen afforded him an opportunity. 
to to spread out. It was a it was not a close proximity race. He's an excellent long run passer. He uh, scored a positive surplus passing value on three of our five measurable track types. And there were only five starts and restarts in that race. Elliot ha- only only retained position on two of them. Uh, one happened to be the final restart. The race ended on a long green flag run. Lo and behold, Chase Elliott is a road course winner in the NASCAR Cup Series. And and looking back on the numbers or even looking before that race, we can see that. I don't want to call it Chase Elliott a, a poor restarter, but looking at these numbers and, and the stats you use, um, how good of a restart you restarter you are, how do you judge that? Give us an example because you have certain criteria for judging uh, restart retention. On motorsportsanalytics.com, you'll read about position retention on both preferred groove restarts and non-preferred groove restarts. We measure the starting point uh, that the driver has on a restart and where they are two laps after the fact. We're trying to measure whether they keep their original position. We also measure the, the positional gain. But just in terms of Blaney and, and Elliott, we're looking at just whether they hold their own spot. That's key. Uh, sometimes if, if, if you just keep your spot on this extremely volatile pocket of a race, uh, that's, a, that's a big deal. And for Chase Elliott, it doesn't even have to be a big improvement going into the 2019 season. It can just be a small improvement. We don't need gains from him. We just need him to, to play a little defense, keep that position on a restart to allow him to excel in the long run, to, to add to his track position that way, uh, instead of uh, approaching the long run uh, from a deficit following the restart. And that's what we want to get into here on positive regression, because there are things make sense when we take a deeper look at the numbers. Today's episode of Positive Regression is sponsored by MotorsportsAnalytics.com, a hub for NASCAR statistics and analysis. Subscribers get access to exclusive stats such as production and equal equipment rating, central speed, and restart position retention, as well as David Smith's analysis of drivers, teams, and statistical trends. If you dabble in fantasy NASCAR, bet on NASCAR races, or just want to become more knowledgeable about the sport you love, this is the subscription for you. If you'd like to try it out, the monthly plan is $4.99 per month. If you're willing to take the plunge, the annual plan is $44.99, a savings of nearly $15. Use the subscription the NASCAR industry uses. Drivers, team decision makers, and members of the NASCAR media subscribe to Motorsports Analytics, and now you can too. And getting back, what we want to start off with our first episode here in 2019, our inaugural episode of Positive Regression. Look, a lot has happened in the offseason in terms of teams, top talent moving around. And there is a way, again, to look at it and the effect that it will have on some of these teams, on some of these drivers. There is a way to look at it and maybe be a little bit predictive about what we can expect via some of these moves. And I think the biggest one, David, that we're thinking about is Martin Truex, the former champion and his crew chief, Cole Pern, Furniture Row Racing shut down. They are on the move to Joe Gibbs Racing. And when I think of moves sometimes, I think of a, a driver maybe upgrading or finally getting that opportunity to go to a good team and be in better equipment. In this move, I kind of see it as, as Joe Gibbs Racing really benefiting from getting this driver and this crew chief and not always the other way around. This is a move that will benefit, I feel, Joe Gibbs Racing more than it may Martin Truex Jr. and Cole Pern. I, I think I agree with that. And, and when you consider 
what the 19 team has been uh, for Joe Gibbs Racing. If you can you recall, uh, Joe Gibbs Racing dragged its feet for years, uh, vacillating on whether to create a fourth team. And I think it was something as simple as they were just waiting on the ideal driver and sponsor combination uh, in order to get that off the ground. I, they felt that they had that with Carl Edwards and uh, the, the sponsor combo of Eris and Subway. Um, we're now going into the fifth season of that team's existence. Uh, Edwards, Eris, and Subway are gone. Uh, they are now on their third driver and fourth crew chief uh, going into year five. If you consider that Joe Gibbs Racing is a is a, a you know a, a family oriented team, fairly loyal. Uh, Denny Hamlin has been there for thirteen years. Kyle Busch has been there for eleven years. They have to view this 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 fourth team as a disappointment, right? So so really hammering this nail with Martin Truex and Cole Pern, they they may have turned their biggest weakness into. I mean, Kyle Busch's 18 team is really good, but arguably their biggest strong suit. Uh, when you consider that Martin Truex is this, we talk about driver styles, this is a well-rounded driver now, all right? He, he doesn't get uh, enough credit for his, his restart ability, his ability to produce, only paralleled by Kevin Harvick in the last two years. Um, they took care of their weakness. I, what about you? What 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 do you feel are the expectations when you think of Martin Truex and Cole Pern now with Joe Gibbs Racing equipment? I expect them to go there and be winners, and I know that might be a bit shallow. My question is: is I wonder is what we've heard about these alliances right in the past is that one team does all the hard work, gets a lot of it out of the way, and then the cars are and technology and and everything thing that they've learned is shipped off to Colorado, which then becomes a just a starting point. All those man hours at JGR now become a starting point for Colburn and the 78 team in the past where they can then improve upon all the work that's already been done. Will we see that type of relationship still, or will we see Colburn in infuse himself more into just from the ground up style that they have over at JGR and then that everyone benefits or how much was that 78 team benefiting from all the work JGR did and then being able to improve upon it. That's what I wonder. How can you just exercise the demons of the 19 team from the last two years? Obviously they had a rookie driver in there. It wasn't as high quality of a team in terms of speed, in terms of results that we saw compared to the other JGR cars. Can you just exercise that and get rid of it and start from zero and, and bring in the Cole Pern, Martin Truex Jr. magic? Uh, I, I wonder about that only because there may be some alpha dog syndrome, right? It, for the last few years, it has been Kyle Busch. Now, all of a sudden, you are bringing one of his top competitors in-house, even though they have been, even though they've been tangentially related this whole time, they are in-house in the same hen house. I mean, are, is there room for two number ones? there so i mean are we going to see the the four five six win plateau from from martin truex jr and the 19 team i don't think so i, I think it tops out around three but that, that's a hot take for another day really okay so to me there's there's this vibe that martin truex and cole pern were this beloved indie rock band that has now signed 
with the big record label, right? And and their their fans are fearing that all their music is going to end up in car commercials and they're going to become, you know, too big for their britches, right? So uh, is is this are are there no excuses? For now, just because they have they've gone from this this team in Furnish Row Racing that had uh, this charm, this underground swagger um, of of knowledgeable but lovable misfits. I I don't know. It is it to me? It feels like making this jump to Joe Gibbs Racing proper, which that's where the cars were coming from. Cole Pern and team were massaging those cars, and at times getting them faster than Joe Gibbs cars. Um, Truex now has everything under the sun and as does Cole Pern. And I, I've heard through the grapevine that when Truex was driving for furniture row racing, he was paid uh, mostly on the back end. He was incentivized to perform and got the majority of his, his pay uh, based on winnings. Joe Gibbs racing uh, is renowned for being uh, a good payer in the NASCAR industry. Uh, I would assume Truex is now getting more on the front end. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to evaluate Truex's psyche, but I think there uh, there is a question of whether the motivation is the same. Um, now, statistically, uh, Alan, readers of, of motorsportsanalytics.com will know that age 39 is the peak production age of an of the average NASCAR driver's career. This should be uh, should be his 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 best season of his career uh, to date. I would think the expectations should be sky high. I, I I think we'll we'll see the same brand of parody. I I don't envision getting out of the Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, uh, Truex triumvirate too much, uh, 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 barring some some radical changes. Um, but I think I'm a bit more bullish on the 19 team just because it feels that's the necessity. One thing it shows, again, I mean, JGR, not afraid to make big moves. This is the same team that just a few years ago had Joey Logano in the fold, a struggling Joey Logano in the fold, but had the opportunity to get Matt Kenseth, and they made that switch back then. Is Do you see that as similar? I mean, back then, it's hard to argue that Matt Kenseth, obviously a race winner, a champion. Yes, bring him into the team when you have an opportunity. This seems similar. You have the opportunity to bring in one of the best champion drivers in the sport right now, and arguably the best crew chief who has you know, jumped leaps and bounds to make his cars fast. You have an opportunity to bring them in-house. You do it, and you jettison Daniel Suarez, a, a driver with potential, but you jettison him to improve your team right now. Is this a similar move to getting Matt Kenseth a few years ago? Uh, I, I don't believe that they're analogous. Um, consider that based on production and equal equipment rating, Joey Logano's age 19 season was the best of the modern era. His age 20 season, under the same parameters, best of the modern era. Um, JGR took considerable risk in dumping Logano to make room for Matt Kenseth. Um, I, I, I'd be curious to hear your opinion of, of if, if knowing what you know now, who who would you would rather have? But I have to think that there are at least some folks in the Joe Gibbs Racing shop that saw Joey Logano win a championship last year and and wonder what if. But as it pertains to Suarez, he's a driver. He's not 
he's not hopeless. I know that there's a lot of the fan base down on him, but if you actually look at his trajectory statistics, um, he is on track to to flirt with a line of being just an average driver, uh, sort of in the mold of a Jamie McMurray, in the mold of an Eric Almarola, and to make way for uh, a recent champion like Martin Truex, I, I I I do think you pull the trigger, and I think you make that decision. Um, I don't I don't think any of them lost sleep when. Suarez announced he was going to Stuart Haas. Uh, I think they're happy with their decision, but more importantly, uh, the statistics for both project that they're better off with Truex behind the wheel. Um, additionally, Truex is the same age as Carl Edwards. Uh, so this puts them back uh, on the team's original timeline uh, that they had in mind for, for when they launched this, this program. Interesting. And it's, it's interesting, you know, statistics stay one thing, but you mentioned Eric Almirola when he got to Stuart Haas last year in great equipment, it seems like he was able to flourish. We, we look at him different race winner driver who will lead laps, contend for wins, go deep into the playoffs. Is it crazy to think of the same of Daniel Suarez now that he is over at Stuart Haas racing? Ah, well, well consider the upgrade that Almirola uh, received. He, he moved from Richard Petty Motorsports, which as recently as last year, uh, they weren't bringing a backup car to Talladega in order to, uh, to contain costs. Uh, Stuart Haas has a Formula One team on its campus. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is a night and day difference in terms of what he now has at his disposal. Um, so that played a big part in in the upgrade with Suarez, I question whether the results, what we see every weekend changes much. Uh, maybe they liberate him to do a little bit more. Maybe they cater to his, uh, because he likes a tight race car. Um, and if you're familiar, familiar with Kyle Busch or Eric Jones at Joe Gibbs racing, those guys hang their cars loose, right? So maybe maybe they can they can get Suarez more comfortable. I don't know, but I'm not as optimistic that he's going to see a similar upgrade and receive a, a bigger playoff push than what we saw from Almarola. Almarola was more of a surprise to the common fan just because of the magnitude of his upgrade in equipment. And, you know, Suarez going to the 41, every transaction has an equal and opposite reaction. Uh, moving on from the 41, Kurt Busch, who goes over to Chip Ganassi Racing. And, I, you know, this one's tough. You look at it, he moves over to the one car. Kurt Busch is coming off an excellent season. He is, uh, I think, just passed or is at the point of his peak production. When you look at uh, your statistics, when a driver normally peaks around age at age 39, he's just after that, I believe, Kurt Busch, and had a few wins last season, was one position away from advancing to Homestead in the points, and he trades it all to a team that won zero races last year. What does Kurt Busch get out of this, moving over to a team that is on paper and statistically less successful than where he just was? Uh, I mean, happiness, maybe. <laughs> I, because, well, when you consider he's he's traded in the fourth fastest car uh, uh, per central speed, 
for the 16th fastest car, it, it is on paper a downgrade in equipment. But if you consider the situation in 2017, Gene Haas came to Kurt Busch uh, and asked him to take a pay cut, and Kurt Busch acquiesced. He was a team player. The same thing happened in 2018, and Kurt Busch said, no, no, not not again. And and he he has uh, traded in a good ride for maybe a place that's just more amenable to him, maybe a place where he feels valued. And I actually think that there's a lot that Ganassi can gain from his addition. So, Alan, I'm going to give you three seasons. And I'll give you one guess at what the what the denominator is. 2002, 2010, and 2017. What do those three years have in common? 2002, 2010, and 2017. Uh, I don't... Mm, Jamie McMurray didn't win in 2017. I was going to say he had wins in those other two seasons. Uh, I, I don't know. Wins for the one... No, not wins for the one car. You're putting me on the spot on our own podcast. I sound like an idiot. <laughs> for... For for different reasons, all three of those were banner years for Chip Ganassi Racing. Huh. Um, now, very peculiar, on the ensuing years, 2003, 2011, and 2018, all of Ganassi's teams went winless. Hmm. Uh, this organization, since Chip Ganassi purchased it from Felix Abadas, has never experienced sustained success, right? That's the thing that we feel is holding Kyle Larson back. And that might also be the thing that Kurt Busch is here to change. Um, People have many opinions on Kurt Busch. He's a polarizing personality, but one thing he, uh, he is that I think we can all agree on is he's very consistent. He has won at least one race in 15 of the last 17 seasons. He won at least one race every season in which he was at Stuart Haas racing. So he can he can bring some degree of consistency to an organization that has always lacked it. And furthermore, I think it gives that Ganassi team a personality that's willing to just call them out, right? I, I, Jamie McMurray wasn't the alpha dog, uh, put the team on his back personality to to do that, right? Jamie's a Jamie's a good guy, but, he, but he's not willing to, to put Chip on blast. Kyle Larson may not be experienced enough to do that yet, but if we know Kurt Busch, I don't think there's anything that would hold him back from doing that and, and maybe keeping this team in check in public. It, it could get messy. It could get noisy, but I, uh, nothing to this point has worked to, to give this organization sustained success. Kurt Busch might be the firebrand that this this organization always wanted. It's all smiles so far, so I look forward to seeing what uh, Kurt Busch can do to, to elevate Chip Ganassi Racing. That'll be fun to watch this season. Uh, another big move coming into 2019, uh, JTG Doherty Racing bringing up Ryan Priest. And in the beta episodes of, of this podcast, we've talked about A.J. Allmendinger, great race car driver, really racing in a bad era because he in the one place – he couldn't produce was one and a half mile tracks, the bread and butter of the NASCAR schedule. So that relationship has played itself out. Ryan Priest comes up to a cup ride. And David, we've talked about it, but this is a move you like. Why? I enjoyed the uh, the stylings of A.J. Allmendinger, but 
the bottom line is he cost JTG uh, 30 positions on intermediate tracks according to his surplus passing value. Uh, when when you have a, a team uh, without the kind of lights out speed that can mask deficiencies, you need to make appropriate moves. Um, and in my eyes, on paper, this was one of the best moves of the offseason because Ryan Parise addresses the thing that ailed JTG the most. Um, last year in the Xfinity series, Ryan Parise jo- uh, drove for Joe Gibbs Racing. They have a pretty good Xfinity program. Uh, he was expected to produce a pass differential of plus 26 based on his average running whereabouts in a JGR car. He turned in a plus 86 on intermediate tracks. So right off the bat, you have addressed the problem that Almendinger brought uh, just in your driver change alone. I, I know a lot of people are excited about Ryan Priest. He has big support from the Northeast where he originated in Modifieds. Um, but this is a move that a lot of people uh, may not understand how impactful it could be. But just just changing the driver can go a long way for this race program. And I, I commend Tad Geschichter for understanding what the weak spot was and addressing it accordingly, arguably as as best as he could, uh, given the the team's financial restraints. And let's let's put that stat you mentioned in, into some layman's terms because I think it's very telling. You were saying last year in the, in the Xfinity series, based on the car's speed, there's a certain expectation for how well it should perform, and then you have the driver far exceed that expectation. And that's something we can read into with Ryan Priest. Is, is that a good way to explain what we saw last year? Absolutely. It's a, a surplus of 60 positions, 60 extra positions that he gave Joe Gibbs racing. Those guys will take that, that, that wins them races for, for JTG. It may not translate to the same total number because this is a, this is a stiffer competition uh, for Priest. That could give them a little bit of breathing room on the intermediate tracks. And, and that was, look, it's the most prevalent track type in NASCAR. And it's the track type that JTG, over the last handful of years, hasn't figured out. And this is a step in the right direction. Still a two-car team over there at JTG. You like the move with Ryan Priest. Anything else that could improve that team? Let me hit you with a, a hypothetical. If you were the owner of a two-car team, would you, A, rather have both cars average a 22nd place finish, or B, have one car average an 18th place finish and the other average a 26th place finish? Which would would you prefer? Do you want balance, or do you want one car being better than the other? I want one alpha dog. I want one car being better than the other. Maybe I'm just uh, maybe I'm obsessed with the potential for success, the the finishing number. I want one out there performing, and maybe the trickle down effect to eventually prove the other one. That's what I want. I'm 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 of the same mind, uh, especially uh, in an era of racing where we crown our champions with playoffs, because the better the car, uh, the more opportunities you have to accumulate points or score a win and get into the playoffs, which we know very lucrative to these NASCAR teams. Um, to me, aligning Priest 
with Tristan Smith instead of Trent Owens is shooting for balance. Trent Owens supplied his drivers 116 positions on green flag pick cycles in 2018 alone. Tristan Smith, also very good, but only 58 positions. They put Trent Owens with Chris Buescher, who was uh, a minus passer on on all measurable track types, and and that's to uh, supplement Chris Buescher's shortcomings. And and that's fine. That that's understood, and that's a philosophy. That that's where Tad Geschichter and I differ. Uh, I would have gone for the kill shot. I would have loved to have seen Priest teamed with Trent Owens, and that way it's a track position bonanza. We're going to get everything we can get. We are uh, we're filling as many holes as possible in an effort to put out the best possible race team on the track. Um, I think they missed an opportunity, but the season's long. We saw. Uh, this organization switch its driver crew chief combinations prior to the playoffs last year, or actually I think it was during the playoffs last year. Uh, so they, they're willing to try things. That's a switch. That I think I, I, I would like to see that. I'd like to see them willing to try that. It, it, it It's reminiscent of when Carl Edwards came to Joe Gibbs racing. And there was the obvious pairing of you have Carl Edwards, this clean air specialist that struggled to pass uh, in need of track position, and and Dave Rogers, a crew chief on your roster, known for feeding his drivers track position. It was a match made in heaven, and it took them a year to realize that that made sense. They they aligned Edwards with Darian Grubb in that first year, uh, and if you remember that second year, Edwards and Dave Rogers nearly won the championship, uh, and it was a bountiful year in terms of track position. Um, even in a uh, in a season where Edwards didn't necessarily have a lot of clean air, they figured out a way to game themselves all the way to the all the way to the uh, the championship race. And what an ending that was for Carl Edwards! Unfortunately, I still remember that race. I was down there in Homestead, made that long walk with him. But that's a story for another time. Uh, it was fun though. Uh, another transition heading into 2019. Sometimes you just get look. It's NASCAR. There's only so many you know, musical chairs. There's only so many chairs. There's only so many teams and drivers. Sometimes a driver needs a team, a team needs a driver. And we have Ryan Newman moving over to Roush Fenway racing. Obviously Ryan Newman, long career success early on, uh, on the back end of his career and and Roush Fenway looking to make some waves and get back on the right track. They have found each other, a veteran driver, a well-known team. You can't just, the ingredients maybe are there, but you can't just pair two things together just because they sound good. What what are the expectations? Because both, both Ryan Newman and Roush Fenway need something to get, need a spark. Is this the right, is this the right mix? Um, I, uh, well, do dumpster fires need sparks, Alan? I mean, I don't, so to, to me on, on, on paper, this team doesn't make any statistical sense. It's, it's a it's a terrible combination when you consider Ryan Newman ranked as the seventh least efficient passer in the Cup Series last year. Uh, and, and again, and that's to a compound- stat, comparing the speed of the thirty one car last year. You would expect a certain amount of production in terms of passing on the track, and Ryan Newman came in under that. That's what you mean? A- a- absolutely. He 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 didn't give Richard Childress Racing what 
they were looking for, and and th- and there was a reason Ryan Newman was was available on the open market uh, after that. But it, it, compounding that in the final one tenth of races, uh, which we lovingly refer to as the red zone, Newman lost seventy four total positions. That was the second worst red zone loss among full-time teams. So not not only was he not efficient with his passing, but it reared its its head the most during the part of the race that that mattered the most, that, that paid the points. Um, th- that's problematic. And, and when you consider that he is joining a number six team that in the last three seasons uh, in central speed ranked 23rd, 22nd, and 23rd, Speed isn't transcendent. It's not bailing them out of their problems. And oh, by the way, uh, Scott Graves, uh, an Xfinity Series championship winning crew chief when he was at Roush Fenway, uh, returns uh, home from Joe Gibbs Racing after costing Daniel Suarez 103 positions across 61 races uh, during green flag pit cycles. The, the part that concerns me, Alan, is I have no idea where this track position is coming from, yet they're on the docket for showing up to 36 races. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm, I'm curious to see how they attempt to salvage this. We're talking about two veterans here in Scott Graves and Ryan Newman, uh, what a zebra or tiger. I don't know the saying <laughs> changing its stripes. It, it doesn't happen often. How do you, how do you find production? What, what do you expect out of, I mean, are these two stubborn veterans or is this a team that can kind of put it together and think this is what we're doing wrong, or this is what we haven't done right in the past. Let's try something. How, how do you salvage the six team in 2019? So I think this is an example of we talked, you know, at the at the top of the podcast about you know different styles, different driving styles, different team styles, and this is a program right now absent of of any style or or any speed and and not a lot of not a lot of hope. How they adjust to that will be telling. Um, you talk about a zebra changing its stripes. Scott Graves needs to call a better race, right? He he left Daniel Suarez uh, out out to dry uh, when Suarez was struggling to pass in his first two years in the Cup Series. Newman has more experience, right? And and he'll he'll wrestle for position, but you got to find track position just wherever you can get it. And now that we're in an era where Look, a, a, a chance green flag pit stop, whether it's uh, through short pitting or, or long pitting, you can put yourself in position. You can trap other cars a lap down if a, if a caution comes out uh, timely and in your favor, where you can pull off a surprise win. And if I'm that team, that might be my MO every single weekend is that, look, we don't have the firepower that elite teams have. Uh, we don't necessarily have the talent. Um, just because Scott Graves wasn't uh, efficient with his pit strategy calls the last few years doesn't mean he can't be moving forward. So how he adjusts based on the situation uh, will be interesting because the, the, the crew chief in this uh, situation also uh, is experiencing a, a come down in, in regards to speed. Uh, I think Roush Fenway views him as something of a savior. 
Uh, I think he's going to uh, land at Roush and understand he doesn't have a lot of the same tools he had when he was at Joe Gibbs Racing. So I'm curious to see what what uh, what happens with this because this was once uh, uh, one of the banner programs in the NASCAR Cup Series, the number six with with Mark Martin behind the wheel. Uh, now it's a shell of its former self. You'd like to see the ship get righted. Yeah, and in sports in general, sometimes you just wonder about teams that that aren't on paper necessarily stacked for huge success or championship wins. I wonder, like an NFL team, why not go for it on every fourth down? Why not do an onside kick every single time or do trick plays all the time? Because how how bad could it get, right? I mean, what, what's the worst that could happen? And maybe you will find some success. I would I would just imagine a race team one year going into a season saying, every race we're going to do something crazy because you never know. And, and that one you never know may qualify you for a playoff. But that is a, that is a discussion for another time. And look, we, there's a lot of transactions that went on for deeper insight analysis like we've been talking about, about Daniel Hemrick, Matt DiBenedetto. Check out the transaction analysis series over on motorsportsanalytics.com. And that's a wrap right now for episode one of Positive Regression. And it's been a pleasure so far. And a new episode of Positive Regression will drop every Thursday morning, including next week. We will start in part one of our two-part organizational preview as we look further into 2019, taking a deep dive through each organization in the Cup Series. Uh, Of course, you know me from Race Hub and Race Day on FS1 and the Truck Series, and that will be ramping up soon. Race Hub is back on FS1 on February 4th, starting at 6 p.m., and we will have you covered there on the TV side. And David, what are you working on? I am halfway through my annual SWOT analysis series on motorsportsanalytics.com, where I look at a key strength, weakness, opportunity, and threat uh, for each of the top six programs in the Cup Series. Uh, So far, Hendrick, RCR, and Team Penske are posted. Uh, I have Joe Gibbs Racing, Chip Ganassi Racing, and Stuart Haas still to come. So if you're interested in reading that, please check out motorsportsanalytics.com. And I like those. And I know uh, we can be abrasive sometimes or come across with strong opinions, but your SWOT analyses come, uh, they break down each team by strength, weakness, and maybe some potential. So it's not all negative. It's not all positive. There is some some good and some bad for every team out there. And that's what David breaks down. David, I appreciate it. It's been fun. We've been working hard at this. So I hope the listeners enjoyed it as well. And there is much more to come. Thank you for listening to Positive Regression, a motorsports and analytics podcast. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.